once again. Happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room and, and future dads as well. So um, we are uh, grateful that you chose to have yourself and your family uh, with God's people today. That's a good thing. And so um, we've been in a series um, over the last several weeks about what the Bible teaches about various subjects. And most of the subjects that we've been going through have been subjects that have, well, all of them so far, uh, that were indicated by you and others who attended our Easter services that you would be interested in hearing more about what the Bible says about these subjects. And so another category that was kind of more broad was, was issues related to family and issues related to parenting and marriage and things of that nature. And so in a series like this, that's kind of a broad thing to address. And so kind of, since it's Father's Day, when, when and the series falls this way, I kind of want to address a little bit manhood and fatherhood a little bit. And uh, from Psalm 128, um, as we talked this morning about the blessed man. And, you know, dads are very important. Uh, they've always been important, God's, and so are moms. God has designed the family that way, right? We want God's ideal is for there to be a godly mom and a godly... Uh, just this week, some stats about fatherhood um, and just uh, some alarming stats, you know. Um, children without a father are four time greater risk, at a four-time greater risk of poverty. Girls without a dad are seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager. Um, more like, children are more likely to go to prison, to commit a crime, two times more likely to drop out of high school. and all, I mean, just the, st- the, the statistics are overwhelming, and all those come from fatherhood.org. But, you know, now with that, let me say this. If you're in a home with, without, with, without dad present or grew up in one, God's grace is greater than any stat. And so we know, and, and he is the ultimate father. And so we, we know that and we get that. God, God's got the ultimate trump card uh, in the gospel. And so we're grateful for that. And so, but that, that doesn't shrink us from understanding his design and, and knowing the important role that God has called men to step into, both in the home and in the church and in society. And so men are very important, as are women, like we say on Mother's Day, but this is Father's Day, so I'm going to talk to the men a little bit today, and uh, this isn't going to be one of those messages, or at least it's not intended to, where, you know, I heard somebody say the other day, you know, on Mother's Day, we invite all the moms in, and we tell them how awesome they are, and we get all the dads here on Father's Day and tell them they stink, and so we don't want to be that kind of church, and um, so we don't want to do that, and, uh, but at the same time, I do want to charge us a little bit, exhort us a little bit today, um, because, uh, and, and about what it means to be this idea of what Psalm 128 is going to call the the blessed man, right? You know, uh, the word blessed just means happy, right? And many men in our society are pursuing happiness, right? They're pursuing it at work. They're pursuing it in ho- at home or just in their life, but they're not pursuing God, right? Uh, and at the end of the day, they're going to find out eternally they're not going to be very happy. I heard a pastor say, Pastor Josh Howerton said this, people aren't so much on a truth quest as they're on a happiness quest. And that's true. Right, and so people are people want to be happy, and the Bible teaches us though that eternal happiness, lasting happiness, eternal joy is found from the Lord. And there are many people though that they 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 don't pursue truth, they don't walk in truth because they're afraid truth is going to interrupt their happiness pursuit. But ultimate happiness, we know, is actually found in walking in the truth of God's word. Uh, joy that lasts forever. The happiness of this world's here today, gone tomorrow. We need, we need a happiness that's, that's beyond this life. And the Psalms, especially Proverbs, the Old Testament, and then Jesus, even in the, in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, talk about this kind of happy state. This blessedness, the favor of God being on you in a way that brings a deep joy that lasts forever, even when temporal happiness sometimes comes and 
goes. And so today I want to talk to you about this blessed man. And really, these, most of these principles are applicable to all of us, male and female. But I want to talk to you about this idea of this blessed man and how he stewards God's blessing in his life. So Psalm 128 is where we're going to be. It's a wisdom psalm that reveals to us some general principles, okay? General principles, because it's a wisdom psalm, much like Proverbs or something like that, things that are generally true about manhood and being a husband and a father, and it reveals something about the blessing of God. And so look, at, look with me at Psalm 128. It's on the screen for you, verses 1 through 6. Very short psalm this morning. It says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel today. Israel. Not today. That was my addition there. That's the Josh Malone translation. Peace be upon Israel. Here's the deal. Um, as we look at a passage like this, there's a lot of things that might jump out to us and things of that nature. But what, what, are, what we really need to see before we unpack anything else, what we have to understand is that the blessing of God is connected to the fear of God. And, and, and this, this, this idea of this favorable state, this, this eternal happiness, this happy state, this blessedness, it's connected to the fear of God. Blesses, blesses everyone who fears the Lord, right? Uh, the fear of the Lord is the what? The beginning of wisdom and the beginning of knowledge. And here we see blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Well, we know blessed, as we've already said, is this idea of eternal happiness, this state of divine blessing upon someone um, bestowed by God. It's lasting and true. But, and we see in the passage, though, it's not tied to a lot of the things we tie to blessing in our culture. We think of blessing, we think of money, and we think of fame, and we think of success. But here we see it's tied to the fear of God. Fear of the Lord here refers to reverential awe, we call it, right, when we come to these passages. It's not, ooh, God's going to get me so much as, wow, I'm, I'm so in awe of God that I, I, I trust him, I obey him, I submit to him, I worship him, I surrender him. It, it's the heart that treats God as God and orders their life accordingly, okay? So it's not, oh, blessed is the one who thinks God is the boogeyman out to get him. No, that's not what he means. It's, it's blessed is the one who has such, sees God as so awesome and has such a reverential awe of God that they, that they order their life in submission and worship of the Lord and blesses everyone, all of us, who fear the Lord and who walk in his ways. Now, we know, we talk about this a lot here, that our greatest problem, humanity's greatest problem, is that, and every man's greatest problem, is that we have not feared God. There's been, as, as, as the word says, no fear of God before our eyes. We've rebelled and turned against God. And apart from reconciliation with God, our lives are headed for eternal destruction, not eternal blessing. And we know the good news of the Bible is what God sent Jesus, right? God sent Jesus and he laid down his life for us. He became a curse for us, took condemnation for us so he could bestow on us blessings so that we could have a favorable state before God, so that we could know God and walk, with, and, and walk in the fear of God. And, and when we believe the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done and dying for us and rising from the dead, God transforms our heart so that we become people who fear the Lord. God's people are a people who fear 
God, who, who see him in this, in this way, in this awesome way, as worthy of our worship, worthy of our obedience. So the point of this text, we just kind of step back and look at it, is not love Jesus, fear God, and you'll have everything go great, right? You kind of can, first blush, we might kind of think, well, it sounds like if you fear the Lord, things are going to be awesome, right? But the point is really that when you walk with God, you'll experience God's blessing in various ways in your life. It's not, not mon monetary blessing or things like that. It, it's the experience of the Lord working in and through your life as you live life by his design. And that you'll see God at work in your life, even in the midst of the pains and the troubles of this world, which, the, which a lot of other Psalms talk a lot about. Knowing ultimately that ultimate joy comes in the end, in eternity. And we'll see that at the end of our time together. That that's ultimately where this psalm's going to push us to. But as we see this, this we also, we, we, we see this, we see this idea of the fear of God and the man that fears God is ultimately what he's aiming at here. And psalm 128 is connected to Psalm 127. And both of these are about the home and about family life. And Psalm 128 is beginning to kind of move, kind of zeroing in on dad and on the husband and on men. And this idea of this blessed man who fears God. And what we see is, we see that the man that fears God, uh, he, we see the various areas that, that God is blessing him in. He recognizes that blessing. And I, and I believe he will ultimately steward he ultimately knows he needs to steward certain area, his life well. And there are five areas to your life that we see revealed here in this passage that I believe God calls each of us to steward well. So the blessed man knows, the blessed man who fears God knows these five things, okay? That's our point this morning. These five things, these areas of stewardship we must steward well. Number one, we know that, number one, I must prioritize my relationship with God. The man who fears God, who's blessed and fears God, knows that I must prioritize my relationship with God because that is the first area that I have to steward well is my walk with the Lord. He says, blessed is the one who fears God. And he says, who walks in his ways. Walks in whose ways? Walks in God's ways. The one who fears God walks in God's ways. That is, he is careful in his daily life, the routine of life, to trust and obey the Lord. Right? We, we won't walk in the Lord's ways if we don't trust the Lord. We don't trust his ways are better than our ways. You aren't, we aren't walking in his ways if we're not obeying his word. The word of God reveals the ways of God. So when we see something like that, walking in the ways of the Lord, what does that mean? Well, that his ways, his, his path his, that he would lead us down is revealed in his word. It's the revealed word of God, revealed truth. And we're to be a people who align our walk with God's ways. Because the world's a dangerous place. If you get off the path, it's even more dangerous, Right? And so we're to live life according to God's design, best we can, with his help. You know, this, um, this, uh, this week we discovered this, that we've been, we've, we've been home a lot because we've had some sickness and things like that in our house earlier in the week. And we discovered this show on Netflix um, uh, where, you all know who Bear Grylls is? He's like this uh, outdoorsman, survivor, ultimate Boy Scout kind of guy. I actually think that's one of his like, roles. He's like the chief scout, whatever. That is. It's like he's the king of the scouts, right? And so, and he's got this show called You Versus the Wild, You Versus Wild, where he goes out and does all these crazy, dangerous adventures. And about every five minutes or so that it's you're faced with a decision you know should we do this or should we do this and the tv pauses and the kids get to pick which thing to do and then you get the result of that right and so and sometimes it doesn't go well like the other day my kid was like, he's like hey you can climb over in this and you can look for water or you can go play in the scrapyard you know and my kids chose to play in the scrapyard and then they got evac'd out of there in a helicopter and it's and and i'm like well that wasn't a good choice and you're and you're watching the show and you're thinking you know really what needs to happen is 
Bear, you need to tell me what to do, right? Instead of my six-year-old kind of holding the remote and making the choice. I mean, that's good and all, but I'm like, the guy that knows the thing to do is right there, and we should just kind of do what he wants us to do because he's the expert, right? And when it comes to life, uh, we know the expert, and, and man, he has given us his word. We, we don't have to wonder his ways. He has given us his ways. He has revealed his ways, and life works best when lived according to God's design. Doesn't mean things still don't go wrong. We live in a fallen world and we're sinful people and other people are sinful people and man, all kinds of horrible things happen. But life works best when we live it according to God's design and his design, his ways are found in his word. So we need to prioritize our relationship with God and the way we do that is by walking in his ways, by prioritizing the word and prioritizing prayer and, and knowing that first and foremost, before I'm anything else, I'm a Christ follower if you're a Christian this morning. Uh, that, that shapes everything else about me is that I know and love Jesus. And so before I'm a husband or before I'm a dad or before I'm a pastor or a neighbor or a friend or a son or a brother, and I'm all those things, but before I'm that, I'm a Christ follower. And so I'm, uh, I'm a husband that's a, that's a Christ follower. And so it, that begins to inform and shape everything else about how I treat my wife or raise my children or how I work or how I pastor or how I treat my neighbors. All these other different things should be shaped and informed by that. That's what it means to prioritize our relationship with God is we see that as supreme. And we do that by fearing him and walking in his ways. The second thing, the second thing is we know is I must be diligent in my work. This psalm reveals that. I must be diligent in my work. Verse two, he says, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hand. So he's talking about the blessing upon work, right? Well, work's not a part of the curse. The fact that it's sometimes hard and difficult and painful, that's the curse, right? But work was always a part of God's design, right? And I don't think it's going away. I think we're gonna serve him in eternity, right? It, it, the, the, the curse part of it's going away, but man, we're gonna serve God forever in a new heaven and a new earth if we know him, if we know Jesus. So in this life, we're called to be diligent in our work because he says, yeah, you're gonna eat the fruit of the labor of your hands, but don't miss this, labor's there. It doesn't just say you're gonna eat. <laughs> it doesn't just say you're gonna eat fruit. He says you're gonna eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. And it, this blessed man who fears God will eat the fruit of the labor of his hands. It's speaking to the benefit, benefits of his work life. But notice he, he labors. He doesn't simply get by. He, he's laboring. And, and if he's able, he is to, he is to labor. And that, doesn't, that, that, that can look different ways in different cultures and different times of life and all those sort of things. But we are called to understand that one of the ways that we image God is at work. Whether that's at home or whether that's out in the workplace, we are, as image bearers, we are, we are stewards of God's creation. We are to cultivate, as Genesis tells us, we're to cultivate the land. And that, in our day and age, that looks various ways. That doesn't mean everybody's to be a farmer, right? Uh, every, 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 every job, right, that, that, can, that you can honor the Lord in is a way of cultivating. Whether you're a teacher cultivating the mind or whether you're helping cultivate the economy through business or whatever it may be or whether you're a doctor working on the human body or mind. But we, we're, we're all cultivators in a sense. We're stewards. And you can, listen, you can be a faithful Christian and you can get fired at work for being diligent as a Christian and honoring God in your work and standing for Christ. And you, that, that can absolutely happen. But at the same time, we need to understand it is a blessing to the world we live in and to your employer and your neighbor when you diligently work unto the glory of God. It's a blessing to them. I read in a book, I was listening to a book this last week, and they said in the book that um, 
the authors made the point that, the, that a study had shown that the very things that employers are looking for from employees are also the very same things that cross followers should have as traits. It, it, even before giftedness, it's things like integrity, right? It's things, it, it, it's work ethic, it, it's honoring people, it's being trustworthy. Those things come even before, I mean, you can have a really gifted person who has really bad integrity and they, can, they just run things into the ground. I mean, they, they'll, they'll, they'll do very unwise things, but first and foremost, they want people of integrity and trustworthy. And if anybody should be showing the world what that looks like, it's Christ followers in the workplace. God is not unconcerned with our work. It's just not to be number one, right? He is. His, our relationship with him is the priority, but it matters because we're image bearers. We're stewarding his creation. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. In other words, don't phone it in. Don't do it as I service. You don't work for men. You work for the Lord. Don't go through the motions. Don't simply give them your hands and not your heart. Work is unto the Lord. Whether that's out in the workforce or whether that's at home as a homemaker, whatever that is, that applies to all of us, not just the men in the room. I must be diligent in my work. Number three, I must treasure and cultivate my family. He says there in verses three and four, really the heart of this passage and the main thrust of it is this focus on the home, the family. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, he says. And we're getting this inside look of the home life, the family of this blessed man who fears the Lord. His wife and children are all benefiting from his fear of the Lord. He's blessed by God with them. He sees it that way, right? Treasures them. And they're presented here as vines and, sh and, and, and shoots, olive shoots, those are pictures of, fruit, of fruitful things, uh, things that grow and things that, that multiply. And, health, and it's a picture here of health and, and cultivation is obviously implied because they're in his house, right? It says they're in, he's, they're in your home, they're in your house, and, and she's a fruitful vine. They're around your table and, and, and they're like olive shoots. And so, so the Lord has blessed him in this way, so he sees the need to cultivate his family. We see this picture of a fruitful wife bearing fruit in her life, a wife can be fruitful in a myriad of ways as a source of strength and joy and encouragement in the family. Commentators point out how the vine, uh, while it points to fruit, can also point to, in the Old Testament, we see it point to joy, we see it point to beauty, all these things. And he's calling all these things to mind here in this psalm with the wife right here bearing this fruit. The point of it is, is that she's flourishing. She's flourishing. And men have a responsibility to cultivate our marriages in a way that is a blessing to our wives, right? We're called to love our wives as Christ loved the church, right? And that tells us that we are to love her in a selfless way and in a sacrificial way. A home where the wife is disrespected or talked down to, ignored or mistreated is not a home where she will be a fruitful vine unless it's in spite of that person. And notice what a vine does, though. A vine cl clings to a structure. He gives us that picture, clings to a structure and climbs and grows, but its stability comes from somewhere else. And I love what the late, great commentator Matthew Henry said. He, he pointed to the fact that the, the, the fruitful wife's stability comes from Christ. Uh, he's the foundation of the home, and, he, and he's the ultimate one that she is, in, 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 in this home, that she is clinging to, that's giving her stability and giving her strength. And a godly husband will help provide stability in the home by walking with Christ and helping their wife flourish for God's glory. <laughs> I had a pastor friend tell me not long ago, he said uh, he had a, a husband and wife come in for counseling. And the husband said, I don't get it. When I met her, 
She was awesome. She was awesome. She did this and this, and everything was super. And now, man, she's horrible. And he went through the whole list of things that, you know, she used to be this, but now it's in. It went all, and the pastor just sit and listen. And, he's, and the guy, you know, of course he had no part in any of this. It was all her, right? She was awesome. Now she's not. Fix her, pastor, you know? And, uh, and the pastor said, wow, you must be a horrible leader. And the guy kind of, what? You know? <laughs> and then he, he clicked with him. He said, he said man, every, 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 you're telling me she was great until she met you, right? And then you got involved in her life. And, and obviously that's a, that's a strong illustration to make this simple point is we've got to own our role. We got to own our role in investing and encouraging and being, and, and being a blessing to the women in our lives. How can we better cultivate our marriages? That is a question we should always be asking. Am I leading spiritually? Hey, if God's, if God's people today, that's a start. Doesn't mean you are, but it's a start. Are you leading in the home in a Christ-like way, right? Sacrificially, selflessly like Christ. Are we doing, we, and nobody, by the way, none of us, ladies, none of us men are a 10 on that scale, right? When you read Ephesians 5 and you say, wow, you should be treating me like, like, like Jesus treats the church. Well, on a scale of 1 to 10, Jesus is the only 10 on that. And the rest of us, we're doing our best by God's grace, but none of us are a 10. But we're all pursuing Christ-like, we should be pursuing Christ-likeness in this way. Are you dating your wife? Are you dating her? Do you go out on dates with her and just spend time with her without the kids? Do, do, you actually, do you actually set aside a portion of your income to actually do that? Because as I heard someone say the other day, right, we spend money on what's important to us. Like I said, I'm not here to beat up on you today. But if we've got money for our hobbies and all the things we like to do and we don't have money to take our wife out, there's a priority problem. Cultivating our marriages but then look at the children. The children in the home are like olive shoots around the table. A shoot is a little sprout. Like I, I saw a picture of, uh, of this big olive tree and all these little ones, little bitty look like, uh, you know, now when I grew up in Alabama and it looked like switches to me. But, but there's all these little shoots, right? All these little shoots coming up around the tree. Gathered around that olive tree. It's a picture of fruitfulness and life and vitality and potential. They're getting to burst into full bloom. Gathered around their godly father who is investing in them so that they can grow and mature. Godly men recognize that children are a blessing and they treasure their kids and they cultivate their homes so that their children can flourish. Every dad needs to point their kids to Christ in our words and in our actions. Every, every dad need, and, and obviously sharing the gospel with them every dad needs to be praying for their kids every dad needs to be praying for their kids praying for their salvation praying for protection praying over their children in their home every dad needs to be providing as best they can unless they're physically unable obviously seeking to provide physically and spiritual leadership as well provision understanding that God's the ultimate provider every dad needs to be protecting right spiritually protecting, physically, whatever, right? Laying the life down if need be. We Protectors of our families. And one we forget sometimes, if you got small kids, every dad needs to play with their kid. Now, it's all started with P, right? And so that means they're obviously godly. Um, point them to Jesus. Pray for them, provide for them, protect them, and play. And play. And that looks different at different ages. Hang out with your kids. Notice, in, notice here in this passage the two key environments of cultivation. 
for the family. The wife flourished where? See, the house is mentioned, the home. And where, did the, where were the kids gathered? The table. The home and the table. Those are the two key environments. Now, we, we tend to act like it's the home and, 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 and the living room where the TV is. And not a lot of cultivation is happening there. Um, in their culture, and we would do good to learn this in our culture, it was the table where you gathered people around and cultivation took place. These are the environments. This is the garden where the family grows. And we must guard and protect these areas. We got to de-weed these areas if we're going to cultivate them. We got to watch the screen time and the distractions and the laziness and the unkept schedules. And, and we've got, we got to help make the home an environment where people can flourish. And if you want an environment of flourishing, you got to tend to the environment. So we got to steward things well. And we got to protect the table. We got to get, listen, and, and, and I feel like there's a little bit of a revival of sense in our culture of this. It just seems like you're hearing more of it than you did maybe in my generation growing up. But man, we got to get back to like regular family dinners and stuff like that. At a table with conversation and without phones and not a plate in my lap in front of a television. Now, I'm not being legalistic. I'm just talking about the regularity, the normalcy, the rhythms, not the exceptions. I read a book recently called The Common Rule. Highly recommended by Justin Early. He points out how the home is a place of formation and that many Christians in the past referred to it as, quote, a school of love. And he points out how the table in the home is the center of gravity for the home that pulls everyone and everything, even neighbors, pulls everything towards that school of love. And he writes this, quote, Think through all the ways the values of love are communicated over food. We serve each other. We clean up after each other. We take turns, we share, we fight, and then we forgive. We praise and we compliment. We express gratitude. We tell stories, we ask questions, we listen, we hear each other, and we pray. And one of the main ways we teach our kids to pray is them hearing us pray around the table, getting back to the table. Parenting happens in the home and as we go, and it happens around the table. Discipleship happens at the table. Meals matter. The home is the, is the center of family life and the table is the center of the home. But we also see here grandchildren pictured in verse 6. Not just the children. The grand, may you see your children's children. Now this part is a prayer, right? He's praying. May, he's praying this blessing. I pray that you'll see your children's children. That we live long enough to see our grandkids. And that's a blessing. If you're here today and you've got grandkids and you've lived long enough to see them, that is a blessing from God. And the anticipation, and the reason this is in a psalm, because the anticipation is a godly heritage. That's kind of the whole point, right? Fear of the Lord. So the anticipation is godly heritage. The godly man is concerned about the legacy he lives, leaves in terms of his family. He's concerned about his family for generations. About his family tree. He wants a godly heritage that will impact the world for the glory of Christ. And then when you look at verses 5 and 6, it says, The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. And may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. The last two things here are this one, or number four, I must participate in Jesus' church. You're like, well, I don't see that there. Well, Zion was the, the mountain Jerusalem where they... Where they symbolize the presence of God with them. Jer Jerusalem, Israel, Zion, all these things are representative of the corporate people of God in the Old Testament. 
And this prayer here, this prayer is that the presence of God, which is where blessing flows from, that, that, they, that, that Jerusalem, that God's people would prosper, that peace would be upon God's people. And this shows that the blessing of God, of God is not some individualistic pursuit. It's connected to the greater good of the people of God. And we know, ultimately, some several thousand years later, that the prosperity of the people of God and the hope of peace for anyone, including Israel, is found ultimately in Jesus. (laughs) Ultimately, it's the one who came through Israel. It's the offspring of Abraham. It's Jesus. And he's the one that ultimately brings peace to anyone, including Israel. Jesus brings the blessing of God. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. It is Jesus who will one day return to the earth and bring ultimate peace and lasting prosperity and well-being to God's people. We know ultimately any promise for blessing finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus and the kingdom he brings. And in the meantime, God's people are found now in the church. The local church is the assembly of the people of God on this earth. And just as in the Old Testament they needed to seek for God to bless Israel, so we should be a people that seek for God to bless his church today. The man who fears God cares for what God cares for. And that's why he he doesn't just want to attend, he wants to participate. We know God has called us to live out our blessed lives that fear him within the community and the family of God. And the way we do that is we, we participate. We're involved, we care, we're concerned. Listen, the church needs godly men. Culture needs it, but the church needs it. And I'm thankful for godly men here who serve in a variety of ways on our deacon body, committees, Sunday school teaching, audio, video, you name it. Godly men and women in our church who serve in a variety of ways. And, but being a participator and not simply just someone who kind of observes from a distance means means I lead my family to steward our resources in a way that they see Jesus' church as is priority. It means I don't just simply come for what I can get, but what I can give. It means I invest significant time with the people of God. It means it looks like a priority. When you look at my time, when you look at how I spend my talents, when you look at how I invest my treasure, it looks like it's a priority. We've got to be men who are in actively involved and engaged in our local churches. You say, well, I do this, and I do that, and, and, I can, and I, when I can make it, I make it, or this, and it's going to, listen, listen, listen. Church is Jesus' idea. It's the ministry he founded. If you've got a better idea, you can take that up with him. But the church, the local church, is, is what God calls us to, to serve and deploy our gifts, and then we go out from here in the world, other ministries and other things, and we, and, we, and we go out and we serve and we do all those things, but man, home base is the church. And the last thing we can take from this is that I must care about my neighbors. See, Jerusalem and Israel wasn't just the people of God. That was also their city and their nation. It it was their neighbors. It was their government as well. It it wasn't just, it wasn't just, it was more than just God's people. It It worked a little differently in the Old Testament. And we need to be a people who care about where we live. Christians should be the best citizens and the best neighbors be people that pray for our leaders, people who serve in our communities, people who vote. We need to care about what's going on and be good neighbors in our city, our state, and our nation. We should be examples of civility in an age, by the way, of incivility. We should be beacons of grace and love in a culture of rage. People are very mad out there, right? 
A lot of angry people. And we should be people who look like we know God's got this. We should be concerned about our nation and our city and our state be, and pray and, and be involved, but not overwhelmed when things don't go the way we think they should go. We should promote righteousness and justice and equity for all. We need to care but not be consumed by the world. We need to be engaged without being consumed and enraged by some of the things that we see going on. We need to know and serve our neighbors at every level. That's just living on mission. Just living on taking, hey, I'm a Christ follower and I've prioritized that and now it's impacting all these other things. And these are all areas of stewardship that all of us have in various ways or potentially do. But we're especially pointing the finger to us men this morning. Let us not be a people that pursue or request God to bless us in these areas if we refuse to fear the Lord and walk in his ways in these areas. And while this psalm paints the ideal picture, we know this world has fallen and things aren't always ideal, are they? It gives us an ideal picture, but we don't live in an ideal world. We live in a broken world, in a fallen world with all kinds of issues. And sometimes your marriage may be less than ideal, and that may only grieve you. Sometimes kids run from the Lord, and that may only grieve you. And sometimes the economy crashes and you lose your job. And in the midst of all this, what we know is that Jesus has secured for us the ultimate blessing in the family of God and that one day we're going to serve him in a land with no brokenness and no sin. And if we know Jesus, we will know ultimate blessing and the fulfillment of ultimate blessing. And until then, when life tears and bends and breaks, we should be found looking to Jesus in faith, plugged in, Man, relying upon and dependent upon the people of God, walking with our brothers and sisters, the family of God, pointing people to Christ. Because ultimately we know all God's promises and all his blessings are gonna find their yes in Jesus. But in this life, if we will walk in the fear of the Lord and live according to his ways, life goes better when lived by God's design than when not lived by God's design. Here's the thing. The first question as we come to a close and as I'm gonna pray for us in just a moment, when you look at a message like this, when you get in the Old Testament and you read about the blessing of God, the first question I always have to ask is, do you know the one who brings the blessing? As we said at the beginning of the message, the story of the Bible is that we were a people under a curse breaking God's law, breaking God's rules. And Christ became a curse for us so that we can know the blessing and favor of God. Do you know Christ, the one who came from Israel? The Messiah, the anointed one, who has died in your place and rose again. That's number one. Whether you're mom or dad or husband or wife or boy or girl. Number one, do you know Christ? Number two, and how are you stewarding the life he's given you? How are you stewarding the blessings he's placed in your life? And if you've got these things in your life, rejoice and give thanks because the story of the text is they're from God. Family you have is a blessing from God. The job you have is a blessing from God. Honor the Lord in those things. Let's pray.